0: Hello, you are listening to the KGFC Festival Talks Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Horsley, and we are coming to you from the Kew Gardens Festival of Cinema, which has been running since August 3rd to August 12th at the UA Midway in, in uh, Forest Hills, and that's on uh, Continental Avenue and Queens Boulevard. And also we've had some films uh, at the Queens Museum, which is located at Flushing Meadows, Corona Park, that's the home of the 1965 World's Fair and also still the home of the iconic Unisphere. And today we're talking with the uh, producer, and he also wrote the music for a short film from Australia called Awkward. His name is Robert Scott. Welcome. Hi, Craig. Hi, Thank Robert. for having me. Um, so I don't like to talk about the film. I let... Uh, the people involved with the film speak for themselves. I don't want to give anything away so describe the film for me.
1: Right, okay. Well, Awkward is a short film about 13 minutes long and it's the story of a young man named James who visits a brothel for the first time in his life and he's very kind of awkward about that. Um, he finally gets up to the room only to find that he's been paired with a woman who was his best friend in primary school, Amy. Amy so the the film is sort of comic in in the beginning you know because of the awkwardness and everything and then it takes this kind of nice melancholy shift as the two characters remember their childhood together um and talk about what led them to where they are now and hopefully there's a bit of a resolution at the end that they have some understanding of each other um But uh, yeah, it's a great film. It was on Thursday night and it's up for a couple of awards for editing, which um, I'm keeping my fingers crossed about.
0: Yeah, it was very uh, interesting, some beautiful imagery in it, especially the scenes with the children. Yeah. And um, so uh, you produced this. uh, How did you come up the script
1: I got, well look just because the beautiful images that you said I've got to tip my hat off to the cinematographer um, a woman named Ella Gibbons um, incredibly talented person I think and uh, she took a great approach she used two different cameras one She's the black magic cinema camera for the interiors in the brothel, but then went up a level with a red cinema camera for the exterior shots to give it that real rich, you know, kind of saturated colour look. But sorry, I just had to mention that when you said beautiful images because I love her work. I think she's fantastic.
0: So how did you uh, come upon this script? The
1: script c- um, was something that uh, Jared and I met doing a master's degree in media production and he and I were in a writing class together and uh, he and I always loved what each other was doing but the rest of the class couldn't really get it (laughs) and we didn't really get what they were doing so it kind of bonded um, Jared and me together and uh, this was a script that uh, I think the seeds of it came out of some of that writing class Um, and initially the first few drafts that Jared showed me, it was a a bit longer. It had some other scenes at the end where the character meets friends when he comes out of the brothel and all of this sort of stuff, so um, Jared and I worked on the script. We kind of stripped it down a little bit to its really fundamental things, which I think was a good thing to do.
0: And Jared wrote this. I- he's credited with the writing. Jared wrote it, yes. Okay, what's his full name? Just
1: Jared Beekhuizen. Okay. B w e k h u y z e n. So he wrote and
0: directed it.
1: He wrote and directed and starred in it. Yes. He plays the main character, um, which is incredibly challenging. And I think he's done a wonderful job pulling that off.
0: And now talking about the editing, uh, what struck me was that uh, some of the way that it was edited, you'd have the adult male um, looking in a direction and then it would flash back to the younger and they were looking in the same direction or they had yeah. the same poses and it was very interesting how um, uh, the direction would allow the child to basically act, behave almost the same way as the adult did yes. and you could see it very closely when yes. you edited it.
1: Oh well yeah I'm glad you say that. The um, The The actress who played the little girl is an aspiring actress, but the boy who played the little boy is actually a kid that was on a Little League baseball team that I was coaching. And I just thought he physically looked so much like Jared. Same skin tones and big eyes and this sort of thing. Um, And he was great, Um, Justin. I thought he was fantastic. The kids took direction incredibly well. They had a lot of fun. You know, we kept it fun on the shoot, playing around and having breaks and things like that. Yeah, that was gonna,
0: what I was going to ask you, because even though you were the producer, you were on the set the whole time during the filming. That's right. And yes. uh, so you you did enjoy working with children. It, was, yeah, it worked we, well.
1: And we had a lot of support from their parents and... Um, you know, of course it's, it's a bit of a when you're casting something like this with kids and you have to tell the parents well see there's this brothel and the guy goes to <laughs> the brothel and your daughter's going to play uh, the childhood version of a girl who grows up to be a prostitute and this sort of stuff but um, Annette, the, the young girl's um, Al- Alex's mum was great and uh, they were on the set as well all the time to help out
0: so we know that the children did not see the final, final version of this film, um, I would think.
1: Um, I suspect that Alex might have seen it. Her parents were pretty progressive.
0: Well, have you talk- and they might have skipped over the okay. little
1: flash frames. <laughs>
0: have you talked to the parents about the... F- they've seen the film. Yeah, yeah, they were very happy with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It was, very, it was, it was well done. Um, and so, it, talking to you the other night, I realized that you had a career before becoming a producer.
1: Yeah, well, I I have actually gotten in... Yeah, I'm a 58-year-old young filmmaker. Um, my career has been a lot in the management side of media businesses. And um, several years... Well, about eight years ago, I decided that... Um, you know I had a passion for making things when I first started out after university I was working in film production and I've always been um, a musician and recorded music and played music and so there was always this creative aspect that was not being fulfilled in a managerial role and I thought you know life is too short you gotta, you gotta do something while you can um, so consequently, went back and did a master's degree in media production. Um, had been working a little bit with film and film music prior to that, and now I've pretty much thrown myself all the way into it.
0: So uh, how easy was the transition going from one side of the brain to the other, going from management to basically being creative, I guess?
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, I think the interesting thing is, is that when you're producing or directing a film, a lot of it is, you know, a lot of that management experience actually pays off in yeah. terms of coordinating groups of people, um, galvanizing them to all be working for the one cause, uh, planning things out, and, you know, making sure everybody knows what's going on. A lot of those skills from the management side of things can be directly ported over to to doing things like directing and producing. Um, The creative aspect of it, um, hopefully that's something that's innate and that's there anyway. Um, But certainly, uh, you know, I think film's a fantastic medium because it is so collaborative and it requires you to communicate with other people, get ideas out of them and give your ideas to them as well.
0: And uh, you you wrote the music for this film. I did, yes. Yeah. Uh how w- when you did that did you look at the film and then write the music afterwards? How did you uh what was yeah, the
1: Yeah, well uh, t- it was again the collaborative aspect of it I think was really important with the music writing because a lot of the music that I compose is quite minimalist piano pieces things that are quite atmospheric and Uh, Jared loved all of that for the contemplative parts of the film but there was one bit where he wanted to have a real orchestral swell, which was something that I don't normally do and it's also very difficult because if you don't do it correctly it comes off as a bit of a (coughs) ham-fisted slap in the face Um, but Jared kept kind of pushing for that and um, I don't know if, if you recall the bit of the film, but it's when they actually throw themselves back into the memory of the childhood and the, the autumn leaves are all red and golden and it's all very rich visually and the music swells with this string section. Um so that was great because that took me outside my comfort zone. And I think anytime you get taken outside your comfort zone, it's either going to end in a complete disaster or it's going to be something of shimmering brilliance. You know. And hopefully, this was this turned out to be the latter.
0: So, when you did, did the music, because you're the first person I've talked to uh, during these podcasts that have done the mu- that's done the music, right. did you use an actual? Uh, do you use computers to do the music or actual uh, performers? I
1: use computers when I'm composing. Um, But I have never, ever found a synthetic string sound that I accept as being (coughs) real. But we did have a budget. We had a a pretty tight budget. Um, But fortunately, I had done some work with a cellist, um, Oliver Miller, who's credited in the film... And one of the wonderful things about the cello is it's got amazing range. Yeah. You know, it's got the low notes that everybody knows about, but it goes all the way up into the viola register. And so Oliver and I got together and I said, listen, mate, if I if I s- score this out for you and I score all the different sections, can we just overdub you playing... The different lines, and let's see what it sounds like. And consequently, that's what we did. So we overdubbed. I think there's about eight overdubs of Oliver playing the cello. So in it's the, in the same
0: instrument, it's the but
1: same instrument, the same player. But when you hear it, it's real strings, you know, real strings vibrating air in real space, and um, and it works. It, you know, like it, to me, it sounds.
0: It sounds like there's. We had eight. Exactly. That's what playing. I was. Yeah. Why I was asking that yeah. because it did seem so rich that I was like, "Did you actually have eight people sitting there on a soundstage?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> playing. So one
1: person with a lot of time on his hands. Yeah.
0: That's that's a little bit cheaper than doing uh, it is, a. But
1: it is, but it's still real and and it yeah. works and it's something that I would do again. I think you know, especially if you have a budget, if you've got a tight budget.
0: So now uh, this was a, a short. Uh, do you what? And you've seen. Fi- final produ- product uh, what do you have up next do you have anything
1: well I'm I'm in the finishing stages of shooting a feature film it's um, again it's a, a lower budget one it's a, a bit of a psychological thriller um, and uh, hoping to have that finished by the end of this year so hopefully it'll be time in time to submit to Q Gardens next year but um, Jared, he and I are having dinner tonight, and we're going to talk about uh, another project that he's got up his sleeve as well. He's he's got a couple of feature ideas, and um, you know it's it, it, moving from short films to features. They're quite different beasts, you know, just in uh, terms of uh, you know the the, env- the emotional envelope that's going to sustain over or sustain and change over ninety to hundred minutes. Um, as opposed to the challenges of a short film, where it's you know quite compact, what you're working with.
0: Um, so, the Australian film. I mean, it, everybody talks about America and Hollywood, and uh, but Australia is becoming more and more uh, film centric.
1: Yeah, look, it is. I mean, Australia, Australia had a great sort of heyday for cinema in the '80s, um, where you had directors like Peter Weir right um coming out uh and um th- a lot of that was because the tax laws were so slack then that people were starting movies with no intention to finish them just so they could get the tax breaks but the wonderful thing about that was that any project you pitched would get up so films You know, like, for instance, Peter Weir's first film, The Cars That Ate Paris. If you tried pitching that now, there's no way Mm. you'd get any funding for it or anything like that. But they threw some money at that then, and it it got up. And consequently, there was this great blossoming of talent, I think, in the 80s and, you know, through to the early 90s. What's happening in Australia now is that it's – the film industry is trying to be more studio-based, to – so that outside productions, international productions, get shot there. And that's still good because people get the skills experience. um, But I'd really like to see a bit more put into independent theatre in uh, independent cinema in Australia as I think that's probably the same all over the world. But.
0: So um, I know you have a very small role in Awkward.
1: Oh, yes, I'm a John. Uh,
0: what, what was um, your reaction when you saw yourself on the big screen?
1: Uh, look, I think I've got... Um I think I've got uh, a body image problem. Where I think when I look at myself in the mirror, I think, "Wow, you're looking okay, Rob. You know, you're pretty slim and everything." And then when I see myself on film, I go, "My God, there's another twenty well, pounds." Well, th- they say
0: the the camera adds twenty pounds, so so <laughs> it it's it's.
1: Certainly it's <laughs> it certainly did, but it was fun. Um, it was fun doing that. I got to ad lib. I had to be. Uh, uh, there's a security camera in in the. Rooms and the women can see who's coming up because, you know, it could be very embarrassing if it was their uncle or their father or something like that. So the the brothel had part of that as a closed-circuit TV thing. And um, James, when... Amy's in the bathroom she, he's looking around other channels and he discovers that she might have seen and you're,
0: you're in black and white as and opposed I'm to in, full living color I'm in, in that. black and yeah.
1: white and I'm chatting up the hostess and I'm looking at the menu yeah. and <laughs> so,
0: so um, there was a, a famous uh, director uh, that always made a cameo in all of his films Alfred oh, yes, Hitchcock, Hitchcock yes. so do you think that you're going uh, to continue in his tradition and try and get a little cameo in all the films in, of the future
1: um, it's not a bad idea. I a film, another film that I made, I did, I needed to, I needed an extra to look in a shop window and it was, happened to be me. Um, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. I'll yeah. do it. I'll Try, do it. try and uh, get in there. <laughs> as long as I don't ruin the film, that's all. <laughs> I think I'm a lousy actor, good extra lousy actor.
0: So, um, so basically transitioning at, 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 um, at your young age, <laughs> um, any any advice to anybody who is thinking, you know, oh, I'm too old or, or not experienced to go into the film industry but has a real love or desire to do it?
1: Look, I think if you want to do it, you just have to do it. You know, I mean, you get one shot at life and it, whatever it is, whether it's surfing or making films or... Uh, riding your bike around the continental USA or whatever it is, you get, you get one shot at doing it. Um, fortunately, we all, most of us are going to live to be 80 or maybe even 90 years old, so I think I've still got a few years yes. <laughs> left in me. But really, I think, that, you know, the question came up um, in the Q&A, uh, last night someone said you know if, if I want to make a movie how do I get started doing it well you just get started doing right. it whatever it, whatever it takes to do the the, tec- the gr- one of the great things about now and the future that we're going into is that the technology for making high quality movies is becoming quite relatively inexpensive and that doesn't mean though that a whole lot of crap's going to be made. I mean, it, it's, for instance, if you're a painter, paint and is fairly inexpensive, but you still have to be really good, do a lot of work and everything to make it look good. And I think that's the direction that independent cinema is going to go in. There's been some great films on at Kew Gardens oh, it that ha- have yeah. very low budgets. There was um, one I saw the other day called Dursing, which had a $100,000 budget for a feature, (coughs) multi-cast, great locations, beautiful cinematography, the sound quality was wonderful, you know? And the acting and casting and everything was superb. So you can do it, you know? And and the only thing that gets in your way is um, your own laziness or... Just get out there and do it. Well,
0: also the fear. The fear and... and, and Yeah, but,
1: you know, the fear... I think Andy Warhol said you should never be afraid to be called a fool, you know. And, you know, I think there's a whole host of of, uh, quotes from different people. David Bowie says some wonderful things about how if you don't feel fear with what you're doing creatively, then you shouldn't be doing it. You're probably making something that's quite ordinary. If you're scared, if you feel fear, but you bludgeon through that fear and make it, again, you're going to either make something that's a sack of crap or it's going to be something that's new and different that people haven't seen before that they love.
0: And it's also uh, that the quote of the only thing that you regret is things that you didn't do yeah. as opposed to the things that you did Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um and basically you have to do whatever you want to do no matter how awkward.
1: <laughs> how awkward it is. <laughs> exactly. You, you can feel at the time. That's right.
0: Which uh again is the title of your your film, <laughs> yes. awkward. Um and I just want to thank you for coming in. oh thanks um, very much for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to seeing your your future your future productions oh, yeah, cool. and seeing you on screen again <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I want to credit for, if, you do, if you do do the okay. Alfred Hitchcock just no, remember <laughs> I was one who suggested it <laughs> um, thank you but before we leave I'd like to thank our wonderful sponsors uh, Blog Talk Radio for providing an excellent platform for our podcast I'd also like to thank Atiz Organic Coffee and Tea Cafe they're located in Kew Gardens on Metropolitan Avenue and uh, that's where we've been uh, taping these podcasts. They've been our uh, festival lounge for the entire festival. And uh reminder to everyone that if you do have a ticket from the festival or a badge holder, uh, Ateas is giving out a 10% discount for all their coffee and baked good items uh, until August 12th. Uh, our festival ends on August 12th, so bef- if you. Have the time, come see any films that you that are still available. But even if not, go go into our website www.qgardensfestivalofcinema.org. Um, you can see what we've done. It's been a wonderful festival. Uh, wonderful kudos to Jason for uh, actually creating this festival and having it a very successful second year. And we hope to see you all uh, next year or in the next few days. Thank you so much. This is Craig Horsley signing off. Bye.